Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, this is Jerry Lynch from uh, the Real Leadership Company, and this is the Bare Naked Leaders podcast. So, where I'll be talking to various authentic leaders, finding out about their um, their worries, their doubts, their mistakes, and people who inspired them along the way. This morning, I've got Bryce Howard, who's the CEO of Faro Fresh Foods. Uh, known Bryce many years, and uh, he's he tells a story about you know starting his career and actually you know driving people and, and driving results coming from an engineering background, and you know learning later on that it's really about empowering people and the importance of compassion and respect in terms of people and and, and really understanding the talents of, of everyone that works for you. Um, so he he makes that shift from micromanager to to an empowering leader. Uh, the importance of values he talks about um, in an organisation. Imposter syndrome comes up again. Uh, I think that's something that many people talk about. Um, seven habits is another thing that's uh, influenced him. Uh, again, many leaders I know talk about that. Um, and also just about communication and, and um, actually you know, communicating with a wide group of people. So let's hear from Bryce Howard. So, good morning to Bryce Howard. So Bryce is the uh, CEO of Farrow Fresh Foods. Um, so Bryce, welcome to uh, Bare Naked Leaders. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate the opportunity of uh, sharing some experiences, um, hopefully both good and bad. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. So, um, so for, for the listeners out there, just um, give them a little bit of a sense of your journey and where you started from and how you've got to you know, being a CEO. Interesting. I started off as a mechanical engineer at Electricorp, the old electricity corporation. Um, engineering at school, did also commerce at uh, school or university. And um, in the first couple of weeks of starting to work with Electricorp, they decided to make me redundant, okay. uh, which was a pretty interesting start to mm. what you thought was the most promise, promising part of your career. Um, you know, I wanted to either build bridges or build power stations or, yeah. or do, the, do those sort of things. But really interesting that one door shuts and then another one opens. And, and I had also applied for uh, a role with uh, Procter & Gamble, US multinational. Yeah. And somehow the stars aligned and they gave me a call and I knew I was going to get made redundant. So put two and two together and uh, I got a job as a production engineer in Sydney. Right. So I jumped on a plane and headed over there. Yeah. The, the great thing around P&G was just their level of training and investment yeah. they were prepared to give, yeah. give to you. And probably one of the most, uh, probably one of the most memorable ones of that was Stephen Covey, yeah. Seven Habits of Highly Effective Managers or Leaders. And I can still probably remember five out of the seven habits. It's interesting, I, I, uh, on, a, on another podcast I've talked to someone and they said that was uh, a key moment for them as well, the Stephen Covey Seven Habits. So. Yeah. And I still use it. I still use it with my team. Yeah. And it's such an easy read. It's such an easy book. Yeah. Um, and it's surprising that I did that in 1988. Mm. And it's still as relevant today yeah. as it was, was back there. Yeah, yeah so I spent about seven years um, with P&G Consumer Foods. Uh, good training, mainly in that manufacturing product development yeah. sort of area. A uh, bit of time up in Japan. Um, Making sanitary pads of all things up there for yeah. a for a year, uh, and uh, then back to New Zealand, then worked for Goodman Fielder, and then from there across to Tasty. 
yeah. which was probably one of my um, probably one of the best times of my lives there with a, an, a, an old friend of ours, Adrian Cook, yeah. um, and uh, we just had an amazing run. Uh, you know, two three of us there just grew a business from you know a low level to a very high level and, and very successful. Yeah. So you, so you went in as operations manager. At yes. Tasty? Yeah. 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 Just in, in the ops role and really just just doing what I thought was important and particularly around people. Yeah. And, and we grew from sixty staff to three hundred and wow. something plus yeah. staff, and just taking you know just taking people on that whole journey and getting them engaged in that process. Yeah. Everything from you know I probably knew the names of two hundred and eighty of the three hundred people. Yeah. You know, and you knew their families, you knew their parents and sisters and who was having trouble and, yeah. you know, you, you were just an integral part of that, that bigger, tasty family. Yeah. Um, and where did you, you know, if I go back to where you've learned your leadership lessons, Stephen Covey, uh, Covey, obviously one of them, were there any people that influenced you at the start of your career and people that you looked up to and learned lessons from? And if so, who were they? Yeah, there was, um, there's probably in those early days, two people, particularly at P&G, and one was a good experience, one was a very poor experience. Yeah. I think uh, you can learn from both, so that's oh, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe the, the good experience was uh, we had had a chief exec of Procter & Gamble, a guy called Dennis Beaujolais, a Beaujolais, still remember his name, and the way that he could always see the upside and keeping the business so enthused around what was coming forward. Yeah. He was clearly looking through rose-colored glasses, yeah. but, but clearly inspired the organization to really think big yeah. and what it could do. Um, and, and even though I was a simple engineer on the production line, to sit next to him and hear his stories and feel his energy that yeah. comes with you and just those little bits and pockets of information, and he was the one who said I should go on the Stephen Covey course, okay. put me on a plane, ship me off to America and spend a couple of weeks in America going yeah. on it. Wow. Which for a 20 year old kid was, or 21 it's or something. Super exciting. Yeah. For super exciting <laughs> to, to be able to do that. Yeah. So that was some of those, those real, that you know, I really do, do remember uh, uh, Dennis. On the, on the poor side, I had a manager for West who really um, struggled to provide clear direction. And as we started to open up a new facility, there was myriad of problems. And we were just left alone to try to resolve these ourselves. And it was just, there was no cohesive plan. There was no leadership. There was no, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Mm. We knew we had a myriad of issues, but we ended up just having a scattergun approach we we're all working on different things. Mm. And to me, it was such an important lesson. And I ended up being shifted out of that role yeah. because uh, as an ops manager, I, w I was just failing. Um, you know, we, we had a high level of health and safety issues. We had a high level of quality issues. Uh, we had the union on our back because our staff weren't happy. And it was, to me, it was down to single-mindedness, a, a, a lack of leadership. Yeah. And how did you feel at that time? Oh, so demotivated. Yeah. You know, I was nearly ready to throw the towel in and leave. Yeah. Um, and luckily, the organisation probably saw the poor leader was resulting in a lot of other um, poor leaders underneath them. Mm. And so picked me up and moved me out, which really gave me a chance to sit back and 
um, reflect, understand what I wasn't doing well, and I got some pretty harsh coaching mm. on that too. You know, it's, it's quite hard, sort of looking in the mirror and mm. and being told. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What sort of things? Um, uh, not ha- not having a plan of what you really well, not having a plan on what you needed to do for the week or the month. Yeah. Not having clear targets and not communicating those with the team. Right. So yes, I was busy. Yes, I was working every hour of the day I could find. But it was myself and the team didn't really know what else to do. Right. Um, and I found that by communicating what you wanted to do to bring them on board, talk about the plan for the week, and it was you know the production plan that we needed to do, the quality standards we need to achieve, being firm but fair with people, uh, having clear boundaries, having clear expectations, uh, even developing um, uh, one-point lessons or uh, um, giving staff the resources they needed to do to do, the, to do their role. Mm. And I found that started to change around the culture within the organisation yeah. as we all started to you know, walk to the beat of that same drum. Yeah. And did you get, um, was there much feedback from your staff or um, in terms of what they liked, what they didn't like? Um, keep it simple. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't try to do too many things at once. And I think sometimes it's it's about what not to work on. Mm. You know, when you got you've got you're trying to put, juggle fifty balls in the air. Yeah. But you just can't do that. Yeah. So what are those few that will make the most difference? Yeah. Uh, and I think that was a learning is leave these alone. But let's focus and work together on these yeah. on these these key issues. The old Steve Jobs, uh, the to not do list. Um, yes, <laughs> as well as the to do list so. is as important as yeah. keep it on the parking lot. Yeah, you know, keep it there because you know you need to get to it. Yeah. But uh, at the moment, this is important, and therefore let's just focus on these things. Yeah. So where did you go next? So you've obviously had a couple of experiences, good and bad. So. So uh, you're at Tasty, so, so you're in operations. So and, how and did you make that step up to CEO? Yeah, um, Simon Hall, the, the owner, um, had I think he had quite a bit of confidence at what I was doing with the people mm. on the shop floor, uh, growing the capabilities, um, putting people in right seats of the bus yeah. was was important, particularly with an organisation that had uh, was quite mature, had a lot of people in there for a long period of time. But as the business grew, you know, they didn't have the capability of growing with the business. Yeah. So there was some changing, rearranging of the deck chairs. Some people left, but I think it was important to try to get the right people with the right skills yeah. ready for that growth. And we were lucky enough to get on the back of the, the growth of nutritional snacks, mm. um, which really swept through you know, the early 2000s uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And um, you know, the business, sort of doubled and then doubled over the next couple of years. Mm. Uh, and the ability to, to say, take an organisation from 60 people to 300 yeah. and um, manage that level of growth. And, and when you, before you made that transition, because you're, you're obviously engineering operational background to go to a CEO, how did you feel about that in terms of making that step up? Had a lot of doubts. Yeah. <laughs> what were the doubts? Um, my, my, my leadership skills. Yeah. And the ability to communicate to a wide group of people. Mm. Um, but it was interesting, I probably, you know, by, by having a fear of, 
probably not a fear of public speaking, but a fear of being able to communicate what you wanted to do to the 300 odd Tasty staff and trying to turn that round into a, into a, into a positive mm. and getting some help around uh, speaking and organising the teams, I think was, was pretty important for me to, to, um, to lead the organisation in, in the right way. It, it was a business that was, was quite family orientated and often worked by who you knew rather than the good job you did. Yeah. Uh, breaking down some of those barriers was also important to, to, uh, to do. Yeah. And that was often hard when you had um, like my factory manager who'd been in the business for 35 years wow. and the need and the want to treat him with the respect that he had earned yeah. even though we knew that uh, he wasn't right for the job when, it, when he had to look after 100 or 200 odd people mm. and you know, it really taught me that it, you know, business isn't all around just making money mm. and, and in that case with Denim we created a role for him uh, that suited him and got him to a point of retirement yeah. uh, and the business just accepted that, that was a cost it had but at the same time the business had benefited from his last 35 years of, yeah. of growing the business as well. Mm. So that, you know, that level of humility and, and, and family focus that Simon had is something that's, you know, that changed my mind, mm. particularly coming out of an American multinational yeah. and, and Goodman Fielder which was um, Heart had just taken over, so there wasn't a lot of family orientation mm, yeah. <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So that was one of your doubts in terms of the being able to you know, communicate widely with any other doubts you had making that step up? Uh, having, I mean, uh, when, when, you're, when you're young, you think you need to know everything about everything. Mm. And I think what it taught me when I was at Tasty is that I didn't need to know everything about everything. As long as you had staff you could trust that would cover you off in those areas and had yeah. those skills. Because as a chief exec, you, you can't have your finger in all the pies yeah. and you can't be a specialist in all those subjects. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognise that and to be comfortable that you've got good people under you who you've got the utmost confidence with. Yeah. We had one that we didn't have the confidence with and you know, we went through quite a tough time and he was a director of the business as well yeah. and how to actually work through that process to actually remove a, a, a director out of the business and get somebody in who you could have the trust and who had the skills and the alignment on values mm. to drive the business forward. Yeah. So, you know, what you're saying is, is probably your questioning skills are probably the key as opposed to knowing stuff. Yes. It's more about actually how do I ask the right questions of my people to to give me confidence that you know, you know, the business is going where I need it to go. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and probably in in the early part of Tasty, my style was 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 trying to know it all, and and yeah. and when I think back on maybe the level of micromanagement I was doing, yeah, in the weekly reviews, you know, I'm quite, um, I'm quite a stickler for having you know weekly or fortnightly catch ups with my team, yeah. but the level of detail detail I was going in with them. When I now look back, it was just way, way too much. Right. And therefore, they felt that they needed to then ask me and tell me or seek my permission for right. all these small steps. Yeah. Rather than I just need to have the confidence that you know the detail 
and then you can just get on and do your job. Yeah. I mean, that's a good that's reflection for you. So when did you get that reflection and, and what, what, what you know, did you make a change? Was it in this role or was it, it in that it, role? It was, back, it was back in Tasty when yeah. um, I, I was in a role of Chief Operating Officer, probably the most senior person in the company, but I'd yet to take that step into the Chief yeah. Exec role. And, you know, I had, uh, you know, 10 or 12 reports to try to work through and, and just when I looked at my diary, my week, and it was just a week of meetings. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what you know what that what that's like. You just can't get any work done. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, you know, I, was, I ended up being, you know I ended up being uh, ended up floundering for a period of time. Mm. And uh, I'm just trying to think of what the level of you know what changed my mind or clarity or whether um, uh, that's what it was. I went on a leadership course, Institute of Institute of Leadership, I think it was. On New Zealand Institute of Leadership. Yes, yeah. Uh, And it was part of the one-on-one coaching that was there. And it was sort of like one of those little light bulb moments around, Mm. you know, you don't need to go into all that detail. Mm. And it's more around setting the direction. Mm. Um, And so for me, that was quite enlightening that it was in my ability to, 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 to change and to see the results of the team, yeah. and yeah, it's it really made them sit in my last few years at Tasty far more enjoyable. Yeah, with far more time to do and the stuff you wanted to do. Did you get any feedback from your staff with the change you made? You know, how did they feel about that? Yeah, I, ha- I had um, I had one ops manager, um, Scott, who was very good at managing up. Yeah, and he was one of those real pearlers. Uh, that he was he was pretty comfortable in telling you what you were doing right and what you're doing wrong yeah. <laughs> and sometimes as a boss it's hard to take that mm. t- take that in um, he's now become a really good mate of mine yeah. Um, and uh, yeah just having some of those honest discussions sometimes it's over a beer yeah. sometimes it's over a cup of coffee yeah. but to get that feedback yeah. and maybe to create the environment where your staff can give you that feedback yeah, I think that's that's critical um, I mean, if you create that psychological safety for people to be able to give you that feedback, that shows, mm. I think that shows you as a leader that you're vulnerable. And if they don't do that, then, you know, you're not going to grow, you're not going to learn, you're not mm. going to know what's, what you're doing right or wrong. So, so I think if you've created that culture, I think that's a really important one for a leader. Mm. Yeah. And so you've obviously moved from Tasty to Faro. What, you know, what prompted that and uh, what have you, you learned in this, yeah. this part of your journey? It was um, turn 50, one of those classic midlife crises. Yeah. And, um, so after you got the Porsche, was it? No, I didn't get the Porsche. <laughs> so I left, uh, I left Tasty, had a really good handover plan with, um, with the next chief exec, Simon, yeah. uh, and, and Simon, and um, uh, spent the next year just doing some fun stuff. Yeah. Um, everything from sailing to going fishing up in northern Canada and, and other things. Yeah. Again, a great time to, to reflect around all the stuff that you did right. Yeah. Uh, and um, and also to think around the stuff that you probably could have done a bit better on as well. Yeah. Uh, and then lucky enough to get an opportunity of, of coming to uh, to join Faro. Yeah. Um, and interesting with Janine and James, the owners of the business. You know, the business had got to a stage, three hundred odd staff, and and they had the foresight to understand that they were struggling to deal with that level of complexity. Yeah. And they were. Frustrated one Monday morning, and they gave me a call together in the car, and and said, "Hey, we'd love you to come and see if you wanted to join the business and help us 
move the business on and try and resolve some of these issues and and try to grow the business more. Yeah. So coming from a you know supplier background to being a retailer, mm. it's quite a big shift. Yeah. Again, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> I know nothing about retailing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know a bit about food. Yeah. But but to me that you know the business, like any business, it's about people. Yeah. You know whether it's your customers or your your staff or your suppliers. Mm. Um, and interesting that. You know, in, in some ways, I was, I was concerned at the way we were treating some suppliers, mm. and it didn't sit well with me. Because yeah. um, I want to be fair, firm but fair, but I think you need to have a very fair relationship yeah. because we want to grow businesses together. And FARA has always been built on, on you know, growing artisan suppliers. Those little companies then become big companies. Mm. And that's part of the journey. So there were some changes we needed to make the way that we, we dealt with some of our suppliers. Um, I think the other part was around our staff and as mentioned before around the values and going through that values process mm. of just getting us all aligned. Yeah. Um, and probably more importantly to actually live the values as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I found that was, that's, that's been a, a, a large part in getting us to where we are now around being efficient, being effective, great customer service and a, and a business that is growing at a great rate or not. Yeah. We had the conversation before this started about values because I saw the values on the wall and also the wards as I was walking up the steps here in terms of the monthly um, you know, values award. So you know, what, what was that like going through that process and, and more for probably the staff where you got mm. feedback from the staff as to you know, what prompted that and, and what was, what's been the benefits mm. of that? Well, often for, I think for smaller businesses the, who, who have owners embedded in them, the, the owners want to uh, drive the values that they have into the business. And often that's a culture that starts and yeah. created. But as your business grows and grows, sometimes you don't actually understand what those values and what those cultures then actually mean across a wide, diverse group of people. Mm. And what I found was there was a real disconnect between what was on the wall and what our behaviours were actually mm. were. And so I had to deal with talking to Janine and James to say the values we have on the wall isn't really what our values are and we mm. should be going through a process to understand that. And to me it wasn't just around getting the words on the, some new words on the wall, it was around the length of time the engagement uh, of getting that information out of our staff and putting it together in something that does make sense mm. is to try and understand what the culture is, what is important to us. Mm. Uh, and so that process took you know, the best part of a year, mm. going through all the stores several times, lots of things we were playing with, making, making up uh, representations with Play-Doh, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great, um, a great journey to go through with the teams. Mm. And what's been the outcome? So what's the feedback now? How long have you had this in place? Uh, this is our third year. Right. Third year. Yeah. So we're just going through a values refresh at the moment. Um, we had our COVID celebration party last weekend, okay. which was to celebrate uh, the fact we got through COVID and we operated and yeah. we shut our stores down early and we all went out and, and had a great night on the town until about two o'clock or something. <laughs> so, uh, but part of that was also to celebrate um, uh, a new a view of our mm. values 
same values, but one just one of your values is celebrate. Yes, see? Yep. it is. Yep, yep. So we like we do <laughs> yeah. like to celebrate, yeah. and so we actually celebrated um, uh, uh, a new graphical representation of what these values mean mean to us, and we ran a competition amongst our staff, yeah. and it's amazing the level of talent yeah. Yeah. that some of our, some of our staff have in pulling yeah. that information together. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point because I think there's probably a lot of leaders who don't really understand the talent in their teams. Mm. And it might not be in the immediate job, but it's how they can play a, mm. a different role. And it's really un unlocking people's passions or, mm. or strengths, you know. Um, and I suppose doing an exercise like that, it, it can show you a different perspective of a person than yeah. what they do in the store every day. So. Yeah, we, we've been, uh, another inter interesting part around trying to understand yeah, that untapped potential is mm. we were, Talking to our production kitchen team, so we've got about 20 chefs, cooks who cook all our meals up uh, seven days a week and um, deliver them to our stores. And we talked to them about training and how can we try to get consistency in training and those things. And we had a uh, one of our staff on Twilight Shift says in their part time they she spent a lot of times a lot of time gamifying different things, mm. so turning. And she, she came up to us and said, why can't I turn the training into a game? Because 20-year-olds mm. love to play games. So how can we have this as a learning experience? Now, to give a 10-page training document mm. to a 20-year-old and say, learn it this way, mm. or get them to play a game, yeah. and they learn how to do the job through that game. And so we're going through this gamification process yeah. of, of some of our um, health and safety, food safety, wow. how to that's do a, things. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's innovation really, isn't it? So yeah. That's amazing. So. Yeah, so um, really looking forward to seeing the results. I was a bit of a skeptic, but yeah. I've seen some of the, the drafts that have come out and yeah. I've seen the results of, of some of our team trying it out. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so. brilliant. You know, and I think it's probably uh, goes to your leadership of, um, allowing people and empowering people to do that. Mm -hmm. So, if you're giving them the space and the uh, breadth to do that, then uh, you know it's, they they surprise you. They yeah, surprise oh, they you. do. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, rewarding. So, yeah. So if you if you went back um, to your early twenties to give yourself some advice, you know, wrote a letter to yourself. What would <laughs> what would you what would you now tell your younger self? Um, I, I think it's important to aim high. Mm. You know, some, sometimes when you, particularly when you know some of those stories I was telling, when, when you get down, you you tend to you tend to think that maybe you're at a ceiling, mm. and uh, you know the imposter syndrome. You yeah. know, hey, I can't really get any better than this. Mm. I'm probably only ever going to be an engineer. Yeah. You know, did I ever think at that time I was going to be a chief exec of a food retailer? <laughs> no chance in hell, you know. Mm. But I think, you know, sometimes people think I was lucky in what I did and where I got to. But I think the luck is only as good as what you make it yourself. Mm. And I think it is through hard work. It's trying to be reflective, trying to uh, be compassionate, mm. realizing you, you're only as good as the people that are next to you and the people that are with you. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the change I've had of, of trying to drive results and drive change in my early days versus now where I'm very much working with people and trying to empower them to do it. Yeah. 
to me is you know trying to learn that skill yeah. of empowerment yeah it's so much better than standing there and trying to crack that whip yeah and it i mean that's that's an interesting one because i think um when you're young you want recognition and sometimes it, it the ego comes out and it's all about you and you have to show that you're doing a good job mm. whereas probably when you're you're older you're more confident mm. not about you it's about actually the people that mm. work for me and yeah. i want to show them you know so you, you feel less about it, it's all about me so it's you know it's, it's quite i think it's quite hard for a younger person because they want to shine but they think they have to have to shine by it's all about me mm -hmm. whereas actually what you're saying is if I'd have known it's more about empowerment, then you know, and how I empower others, mm. you know, that's that's quite a tough one for a young person yeah. to go through. But yeah. it's a really important lesson. And and when I look at our store managers and think who are the best store managers, to me, it's the the best store managers are those who have got a group of managers underneath them, which are pushing them hard for that mm. next level of responsibility. Mm. Those who have developed people well, and those who you know, have got talent that is now overflowing that can transfer out, yeah. as opposed to those managers who want to sit there and hold their whole team together and don't want, and doesn't want any one of them to leave. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's you're just not giving an, enough back to the organisation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. So, um, and yeah, I think it's interesting also. So many people want to plan out their life, and you know, as as you said, you couldn't imagine where you are, but you've what you've done is you've learnt along the way and I think that some of the things I've heard is like the curiosity, the, the learning um, and, um, and giving it a go. So actually yeah, you might have made shifts to different areas but um, and it might be, you, you might have imposter syndrome thinking well maybe I can't do that but I think the importance is actually just giving it a, giving it a go mm. and, and backing yourself I think. You know? yes. So I think if people realise that most people go in through imposter syndrome you know, so in any change that they do, um, so I think you you know, you've made some quite big changes, and and I think the reflection you've done as well along the way, I think, is really really important. So, mm. um, so thank you very much, Bryce. I think it's been fantastic hearing your vulnerability and your stories, and I, I wish you all the best in uh, in your future with uh, Farrow Fresh and wherever you go, post that. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been a uh, great talk. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. So that was Bryce Howard, thanks Bryce. And I think what I got out of that is, again, um, I think you know everyone has doubts when they step up. Um, and it's really just going back to your leadership skills and, and being confident in your leadership versus technical ability. So moving, you know, when he moved from uh, a company to retail and had, you know, knew he'd known nothing about retail, he, he leant back on in terms of his leadership skills um, that he had built up. Um, I think the other thing I took from, from it was just around the focus on empowering people. I think this one comes up more and more. And again, having confidence in yourself that you don't need to know everything. As you get further up uh, the organisation, you become more general. Um, you are not the expert and it's about really trusting others to, uh, uh, to help you and to help the organisation deliver and you allowing them um, the ability to uh, do their jobs properly. And I think the other one for me is around you know, always being open to feedback and, and creating an environment of uh, safety, psychological safety. So if you, if, you, if you don't have feedback from your people, if you don't allow them to feedback or you don't listen to their feedback, then you're going to miss huge opportunities. So you know, he obviously changed uh, 
some of his leadership by creating that platform where people could give him feedback and then he acted on that feedback. So that's uh, Bryce Howard, so thank you very much. Um, so I'm Jerry Lynch um, and my focus is on, I love helping people develop their culture uh, as well as develop their strategy. So if you need any help with that, then give me a call. My email is jerry at realleadershipnz.co.nz. Um, love to hear from you, any feedback on the podcast as well. Thanks everyone and have a great day.